Welcome to TYT's Indisputable. And I know I said that Dr. Richie would be back today, but unfortunately, still having power outage issues. So it is me, Adrian Lawrence, back at you. And this time, I have an incredible host who's also a TYT contributor. You may know her. We're talking about Ben Carullo. Hi, say hi, Ben. Hi, hi, everybody. Yeah. Sorry. No, you're okay. It's cool. Don't worry. I know. We we all got this. None of us expected to be here today, but we are here and we are excited. Uh, we do have some stories for you. Some of them extraordinarily interesting, and the others very fun and funny. So we cannot wait to share those with you. And let's go ahead and kick this one off. There has been a development on a essentially a disturbing story that's coming out of North Carolina right now. That's where a shop owner beat a black customer who was having a seizure while he was having a seizure. And so after much public outcry, the shop owner finally has been arrested. Now, the man who was beaten, his name is Gregory Evans, and this is what we know courtesy of the Atlanta Black Star. On December 22nd at the Princess Market convenience store around 3.30 p.m. on West Raleigh Boulevard, after a 56-year-old black man entered the store, Gregory Evans, according to his family, started having a seizure while the clerk left his post behind the counter to confront him. It was then that the person started to beat Evans with a stick despite the man experiencing a medical crisis. The violent assault was captured on cell phones by other customers. Sobi Hassan, 68, that's the clerk, was arrested by Rocky Mountain Police Department earlier on Tuesday, December 28th. And he was charged with simple assault in connection with the incident. Now the video shows Hassan shouting at Evans, get out now before coming over to beat him six times on his leg during his seizure. As a result of the altercations, Evans is hospitalized and undergoing tests. Now, uh, do we happen to have the video on this one? Now the man that was beating him, that clerk, that assailant is Sabhi Hassan. And please forgive me if I pronounce that incorrectly. Uh, can we put up a picture of that man? This man beat the 56 year old Mr. Evans who was having a seizure in his store. Now this incident, it sparked protests in the Rocky Mountain area as well as civil action that included collecting signatures or petition really to close that store down because a lot of people had claimed that the store, this convenience store, that they actually had a history of discriminating and mistreating people. And the Rocky Mountain police, well, they said they're still investigating whether this is actually gonna be treated as a hate crime. So I wanna tee this up for you. Um, you know, Ben, what are your thoughts? How does this sit with you? You know, it's just shocking because like, I mean, I personally have experienced somebody else having a seizure next to me, right? Like it was one of my friends had a seizure and it's like, it's a, it's terrifying. It's a terrifying situation where you don't know how to like help the person. And like, this is the thing that is really mind numbing. And it just goes to show like how racist so many people are in America. Because if you are like a normal person that sees another person like experiencing something like a seizure, 
your instinct is to or should be right to be like, oh my God, how do I take care of this person? Is this person okay? What can I do? And this shop owner like decides to start hitting this person. It's just absolutely unbelievable and is a testament to how they like how this person's racism leads to the internal like dehumanization of black folks. Like and and that's really like the central issue because when you respond to somebody in that way, you you really are responding to somebody as though they are just a problem to to be removed as opposed to being a human being that is literally experiencing a seizure and it's it's just especially when somebody's having a seizure they're incredibly helpless right because you can't really like move right that's the whole thing with the seizure and it's just it's just really tragic and infuriating Absolutely infuriating is definitely the word. The fact is that you can generally tell if something is wrong, something is going on, if someone is having a response. Yet apparently this clerk, from my vantage point, this clerk was so blinded by the blackness of this man that he felt the need to assault him as opposed to render him aid. And we know that this gentleman who beat up Mr. Evans, essentially that he is being charged with simple assault. And as a legal analyst, I can tell you that that's a class two misdemeanor there, which means you're looking at something about probation, maybe up to 30 days in jail, not much, maybe a $1,000 fine in North Carolina. And the question of whether this can be considered a hate crime is important because that might, you know, maybe knock it up toward the felony department. We're looking at maybe four to 25 months in jail, in prison, as opposed to just this nominal slap on the wrist. And it's extremely important that we consider that, hey, race definitely appeared to play a role in this offense by virtue of the fact that this man's instinct was to approach Mr. Evans, who's clearly having some kind of um, medical issue, and to physically violate him. Absolutely wild. But what we do have for you is an update from Mr. Evans' sister. And so we know that his sister, Edith Cooper, gave an update on his condition at the Ebenezer Baptist Church on Monday, December 27th, during a forum organized by civil rights activist and Reverend Thomas Walker. She informed the community that he's a little slow and he still doesn't have full mobility of his body at the time. She also noted that her brother said that his back and his legs are hurting. And you know what? Who? Who wouldn't be hurting? This man came up to him when he was completely unable to move and beat him with a stick. How I just how appalling is this? You know, Ben, when it comes to the right penalties and what should be done to essentially teach this man, Mr. Hassan, a lesson, or even just to seek that equitable aspect of our criminal justice system here. What do you think should be the penalty? Should we be looking at something as low level as a simple assault? Or does he actually need to face some kind of felony punishment here? Um, on the criminal side, like I'm honestly not entirely sure, right? Like, because we're always in a, this difficult situation of like, you know, we would like rehabilitative justice. We would like some sort of deprogramming for whatever racism is stuck in this person's head. But like, when it comes to like punishment, like real material punishment, I think that at a minimum, people really need to open up the idea of state legislatures using their power to revoke corporate charters. 
And it used to be that simply failing to serve the public good was enough to do that. And in this instance, if you have a shop owner that has a lot of accusations of like discrimination and you have like this particular instance, which I think is pretty obvious, right? That as a business owner, he is failing, that I think he should lose his right to run a business if he's going to do things like this, and clearly he is. And I think that a further investigation into like uh, like past acts of discrimination, in addition to this, should be used as as evidence to like revoke a corporate charter and just strip away his ability to run a business and be a business owner there. Yeah, you know what, and that might be the appropriate action. And a concern that I have, at least in doing my research to see what North Carolina's hate crime law actually does and where it stands from, something I continued to run across was the fact that North Carolina's hate crime statute does not necessarily protect members of the LGBTQIA community. And that automatically makes me think that the statute itself is probably pretty antiquated and those who enforce it probably aren't necessarily doing exactly what needs to be done. Now things may have changed recently, although from what I've seen so far, it still seems to be questionable. But I don't really have very much conviction in the thought that this crime against Mr. Evans will actually be treated as it is, which is an attack and really a display of anti-blackness. But I guess we're gonna have to see how things play out. We definitely do know that the people in that community had to rally together to get something done and to get this man to be held accountable. And so whether prosecutors and law enforcement actually do something to enforce the laws there in North Carolina and to call this what it is, we're gonna have to wait and see. Let's go ahead and move up to DC to talk about legislature. The Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer has announced that there's gonna be a vote on whether or not to change the Senate's filibuster rules. And this is in order to really pave the way for voting rights legislation. Now, if you recall, the filibuster really has a legacy of being used to block civil rights legislation. And really, which is largely just maintaining racial subordination when it comes to people of color. And when we ask ourselves, you know, will this vote really pass? Let's talk about what CNN said. They said that the vote has a very slim chance of succeeding as two Democratic senators, Joe Manchin of West Virginia and Kirsten Simona of Arizona, have expressed strong opposition to changing the rules along party lines. That's a process known as the nuclear option. Let's talk a little bit about what Schumer said in his letter. Now, over the coming weeks, the Senate will once again consider how to perfect this union and confront the historic challenges facing our democracy. We hope our Republican colleagues change course and work with us. But if they do not, the Senate will debate and consider changes to Senate rules on or before January 17th, Martin Luther King Jr. Day to protect the foundation of our democracy, free and fair elections. Schumer strongly reiterated his call for a Senate rules change to the legislative filibuster in the letter, saying the weaponization of rules once meant to short circuit obstruction have been hijacked to guarantee obstruction. We must adapt, Schumer added. The Senate must evolve like it has many times before. The Senate has was designed to evolve and has evolved many times in our history. Now, Ben. I know there's been a lot of talk of changing the filibuster because we've seen it get in the way when it comes to actually advancing in terms of the work that our government should be doing, but also when it comes to the rights of individuals who are from marginalized groups. How do you think this is really gonna play out? 
Yeah, I mean, the unfortunate reality is I don't see like a great chance of this passing. But I also want to talk about the cowardice that was in Chuck Schumer's statement. I mean, Chuck Schumer said that the filibuster once existed to block obstruction, but from its origin, the filibuster existed by and it was created by and for white supremacists to prevent any type of civil rights legislation in the United States. That's its purpose, that's its origin. And so first and foremost, Chuck Schumer is failing to confront the reality that is a white supremacist institution within the United States Senate that exists today by just calling it what it is. And then of course, you have people like Joe Manchin and Kirsten Cinema who would literally rather cling on to the white supremacy within the Senate than actually have any type of democracy. I mean, think about it. Republicans are stripping away the right to vote from countless Americans around the country and specifically black Americans, right? And under that context, which is threatening the ability of Democrats to be able to maintain and hold any type of legislative power in Congress and the Senate. Even then, when the actual power of Democrats is threatened, they still would rather cling on to this white supremacist tradition than actually challenge it. And it's very telling that it's taken this long. It's telling that Chuck Schumer won't acknowledge the true history behind why the filibuster exists. And it's very telling that Kirsten Sinema and Joe Manchin aren't being continuously roasted by every single Democrat in office. No, you are absolutely spot on right. The fact is that nobody occupies the field when it comes to racism and maintaining white supremacy. Neither the Republicans, nor the Democrats, nor the Independents, nor the any of them. Like the fact is it's universal, it is truly bipartisan. And we get to see that every day when individuals have opportunities to essentially reduce and minimize this whole racial hierarchy thing to make it less of an oppressive tool in our society. We see people make excuses you know, come up with all sorts of reasons why they can't do the right thing. Yet they love to call themselves good people and like to say it's not about race. Yet we see what happens each and every day. And the fact is that we have opportunities to eliminate these oppressive structures. But as we're seeing that there are the few, the minorities getting in the way of the majority when they have the opportunity to make change. And here the minority would be cinema and mansion. And the thing is that we also know that it's absolutely possible to make change based on the history of the filibuster, which you mentioned Ben before, is that the fact is it's possible to change those filibuster rules. And what between 1969 and 2014, Congress created at least 161 exceptions to the requirement of having that 60 vote to end debate. So you can't tell me exceptions aren't in place. It's just that exceptions are in place when it doesn't mess up the place of how racism essentially is one of the governing pinnacles of our society. It's a problem and yet nobody wants to get rid of it, but everybody likes to talk about making the change. And the thing is that allowing the filibuster really to remain is all about allowing the continued obstruction by the minority. And seeing this actually play out right now in Congress tells us that people intend on allowing it to remain for the long haul. I don't think this will work, I don't think it'll pass. I do appreciate Schumer putting this up there, but as you've noted, Ben, the statement didn't come with much force, but I think that in part because it gets Schumer a pat on the back as opposed to kind of that those true cheers that come with making real change. And hey, I don't think our society is there for it. Do you have any closing yeah. thoughts? Yeah, I mean, it really feels just like a play for Chuck Schumer to say, see, I told you so. All of you, all of you leftists, you progressive who keep criticizing us, we told you it wouldn't pass. And so we'll do it for you, but then it's gonna fail and we're gonna be done with it and we're never gonna talk about it again, right? 
never, right? <laughs> and that really seems to be like what Chuck Schumer's strategy is here. Yeah, it's like what wearing like that dashiki or whatever they were wearing before. It's all performative antics. It's not going to be any real substantive change. And I love this whole thought of we're going to do it right before MLK Day. It just I really wish the dancing would stop because you know I actually want to party, and that would require people to actually do more than performative antics. But we are definitely going to bring you more than just performative antics after this break. Thanks so much for joining us and stick and stay. Welcome back into TYT's Indisputable. It is Adrian Lawrence once again, and we have got some exciting news for you. So to driving positive change is the foundation of our mission, as many of you know. And as TYT approaches its 20th anniversary, I really hope that you all can take the time to visit tyt.com slash impacts. Really see what we've achieved over the past few years. Some of TYT's really notable impacts include petitioning for the $15 minimum wage. Lord knows we need that. Too many people living below the poverty line not able to essentially make a livable wage. Also giving a platform to progressive leaders. Like we're talking about AOC, Jamal Brownman, and Cori Bush. And also the Progressive Economic Pledge and so, so much more. We want you to see how you've been a part of driving positive change. So please head to tyt.com slash impacts. Also, have you checked out the indisputable as a podcast? You know, you can't just also see our pretty faces. You can also listen to our voices. Go ahead and do that. You can do it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, really anywhere you listen to your podcasts. All you have to do is search for indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Click and follow. And by the way, why don't you go ahead and give us that five star rating? And guess what's coming on Friday? We've got a big announcement. This one's going to be pretty huge. Tune in to the Young Turks Power Panel on January 7th at this Friday to find out what we've got in store for you for 2022 because it is going to be something you will not want to miss. That's this Friday, TYT's Power Panel. And let's check out what y'all got to say out there. TYT members at TYT.com. Eclectic Miscellanea says, if your reaction to someone having a seizure is to beat them, you're a disgusting human being. Absolutely no excuse for this. Yeah, no, that sounds absolutely right. Uh huh. Mickey C. the silver haired dragon, UFR. How can people be that cruel? Beating a man who is no threat at all. Did that store owner think he's a cop with permission to abuse with no consequences? Something tells me he assumed that the person he would was beating was not really worthy of necessarily justice and thus he would suffer no consequences for beating him. Schumer on this whole filibuster thing, Mickey C, the silver haired dragon says that Schumer has been asleep the past five years. He suddenly awoke when he realized he's up for election again this year. He's FOS and the filibuster. There's no doubt in my mind that he along with Biden and Pelosi and other corporate Dems want none of these bills to pass. Mansion and cinema are just their shields to hide behind. Yeah, it does make it a lot easier when you can point the finger at someone else when, gosh, your motives may be the same. YouTube super chat for Zilla with the $5. Doc calls me a habitual line crosser for saying that one of his fine co-hosts should take over. And Adrian just manages to take it all over. Look at you. Thank you for the love. Forbzilla for the $2 also say, Ben, what shade and brand is the lipstick? I want it. Ben? Um, it's literally just like a colored chapstick. <laughs> oh, look at you. Look at you, please. Oh, making us all jealous. Darch Angle Angle 3. 
uh, with the five dollars says Miss Live yesterday caught the replay. Adrian Sauvignon Blanc made her a Sauvignon bitch. Had me howling. I'm glad you enjoyed that. I get a little, I get a little savvy, little something, little something, something. Trista Lacour, 9.99, saying hi, ladies. Great job hosting this week, Adrian. I love to hear your legal perspective on various issues. Thanks for the love. We appreciate being here for you. Also, Courtney, the SLP, love today's accent scarf, Adrian. Thank you. This is the I don't want to do my hair, so I'm going to cover most of it. I like it too. As far as the seizing black man, Amanda Tucker says this is horrific to hear as someone with a seizure disorder. Absolutely, absolutely. Thank God that there were those other patrons in the store who put down their phones and helped the man outside where they were able to help him into the ambulance. It's a big thing. Good. Twitch Felicity91 says, Hey girl, love you, Ben. You got love out there, hon. Gregory's 1118. Adrian is getting some experience. She's doing great with the transitions. Thank you. I am doing my best out here. Alejandra Maldona Mexia. Why did the other customers not intervene? This could be easily fixed by anti-racism laws. I don't know what to tell you in terms of anti-racism laws because we have to remember they passed the Civil Rights Act back in the 1960s, yet we still have racism running amok and all sorts of discrimination. So passing laws doesn't necessarily help things. But in terms of people intervening, I think a lot of people are afraid that they're going to face some kind of consequences if they were to physically get involved. So they waited for the man to back up and then they helped Mr. Evans. Either way, we know that there is definitely a problem in our society that certain people do not think that others are worthy of justice or equal treatment and thus they are so willing to put their hands on them. And hopefully that will stop and hopefully there will be more people who are not bystanders standing by but interveners uh, throwing hands. Ah, and speaking of hands being thrown, at least uh, arguably virtually, there was a drunk live streamer who was kicked off uh, out of a bar for filming people without their consent really. And the live streamer decided to retaliate. And we have that Karen video for you, here you go. You want to call the police on them for having a barbecue on a Sunday? You're going to feel right. Back off! I'm going to tell them there's an African American man threatening my life. Name? No, what the f is your name, bitch? This is not the problem you want. Go home. You cannot Really? Move. Don't touch me. Listen. Don't touch me. She needs to stop. She needs to stop. That's what she does. She streams. But she can't stream people that don't want to be streamed. That's illegal. No, it's okay, not. Yes, it is. What's illegal? So this Karen, well, she couldn't really be stopped. She had to continue to be belligerent and provoke the security outside of the bar. Watch this. Come on. Yo, guess what? I didn't even throw it at your head. 
Yeah, the Karen's just getting started. And because her Karenacity really knows no bounds, well, as the initial aggressor, of course, as you notice, she'll try to start playing victim now. That wailing and howling, I feel like those were her ancestors speaking through her. The fact that she had essentially been tuned up by a person of color for acting up. I just, I can see all the sorrow. I could hear it at different pitches. I think dogs could hear it. It was a hell of a thing. Ben, thoughts? Yeah, I mean, this is just a classic example of white tears, right? Like she's filming where she's not supposed to be. And it's like a private business, right? So it's a restaurant, right? So if you're out on the street, yeah, you can film anybody because it's a public space and there's no reasonable expectation of privacy or whatever. But it's different in a restaurant where if the security of the restaurant saying don't film here, then you're not allowed to film there. It's actually quite that simple. And then like, and then she starts screaming at all the random patrons and stuff like that. And then, and then just like busts up crying. Like, and I know she said, oh, this is definitely assault, this is definitely assault. Now I'm not a lawyer, but I do know that fighting words doctrine is a thing that exists. And if you're trying to instigate things, you can't really like try and claim that other people are, are the cause of it. Um, but this is exactly what's happening right here. And this is just a public service announcement to everybody, right? If you see somebody do this and they're trying to use white tears to like, you know, make themselves the victim in any situation. It's a good to laugh. It's actually good and correct for you to laugh at them, especially to their face. I mean, please, like <laughs> they should not be taken seriously when they do this. That's a hell of a PSA, Ben. That truly is because it's it is difficult as someone who has been on the receiving end of white woman tears, who has been subjected to a lot of false accusations and all sorts of claims that I'm the initial aggressor, all sorts of things. Like I just I really don't have it in me to offer very much sympathy for individuals like this, particularly with this woman being extraordinarily inebriated and continuing to provoke others. You know, I just I shoulder shrugs and I wish her the best. I hope she learned something from this situation. I'm not 
very big advocate of violence, but you know, hey, it happened. And so we wish that Karen the best on her ventures, and I hope her howls were heard by those who cared. And really, speaking of Karens, well, there, Queen Bee, well, she stays in the news, and this time she's actually isolating members of her own party, which isn't something new to Miss Marjorie Taylor Greene. So after MTG was bounced from Twitter last week, well, that pro Trump pastor. Daryl Scott, he had a few things to say about her. Scott tweeted this. He said, I'm tired of white conservatives like Marjorie Taylor Greene putting black conservatives in a bad position by spouting racist sounding stuff and wanting us to defend it and or her. She called outreach to black voters pandering. I'm not standing next to that drivel. I think he was at the end of his rope. He did not care. He is letting her know it is done. No, because the reality is that we know what MTG has been up to and it's been nothing but shenanigans and it has been against all groups out there who are not white and predominantly white men. What do you think initially of this response, Ben? Um. Yeah, I mean, like the Republican Party is in a difficult position right now because like, look, they're chock full of white supremacists. Like, like Republican Party is the party for by and for white supremacists, right? That's where they're all flocking to right now. You literally have Nazis running around doing like rallies and marches. So, like, like I get this tension, but also if you're wondering like who the Republican Party by and large is going to defend in this situation, like they would throw a black pastor under the bus before they would throw Marjorie Taylor Greene under a bus. That is so incredibly true. And the sad part is that this Scott gentleman really doesn't seem to get that, which is why he still continues at least to side with the quote unquote conservatives. And it just, hey, some people need to learn and learn the hard way. But this is also something that we came to learn about Scott. So Scott followed up this tweet by noting people like Green don't think formulating strategy to attack, attract, White suburban women is pandering. Some of Scott's followers tried to defend Green by asking him to point to racist things she said. And Scott pointed to videos she made before being elected in which she said it was possible for Muslims to be loyal. It was impossible for Muslims to be loyal to the United States, as well as infamous remarks she made comparing pandemic related restrictions to the Holocaust. So clearly, Scott had receipts. He knew exactly who she was and threw it in the face of her little devoted minions and whatnot. The fact is that the woman doesn't need to scream out the N words or racial epithets to be racist. It is in her actions, it's in the things that she says. And we know that black conservatives also likely have been ticked off by Marjorie Taylor Greene's other ignorant rants. Such as when she said that black people are held slaves to the Democratic Party. She called George Soros a Jewish Democratic mega donor, a Nazi. And she said she would feel proud to see a Confederate monument if she were black because it symbolizes progress made since the Civil War. Come on now. It's like the woman has done everything but don a white hood in public. Anytime I'm sure that there's a sale on white sheets at Kohl's, she's a first in line. Let's not lie to ourselves about this. And it also probably didn't help that Green unnecessarily has gone out of her way to attack black women lawmakers. Recently, when she was tossed from Twitter, she went on one of those little alt tech, alt right platforms and she tweeted this. When Maxine Waters can go to the streets and threaten violence on Twitter, Kamala and Ilhan can bail out writers on Twitter. 
and chief spokesman for terrorist IRGC can tweet morning Soleimani, but I get suspended for tweeting VAER statistics. Twitter is an enemy to America and can't handle the truth. These black women were minding their own damn business. And of course, Marjorie Taylor Greene had to throw them in the mix because it's clearly upsetting to Marjorie Taylor Greene to see these women shine and do what they need to do. So of course, she had to muster all of her massage noir to bring them into a conversation they were never a part of because she can't follow Twitter rules. Ben, I am tired. What are your thoughts? I mean, this is like a tale as old as time in the United States, though, right? Like, like right wingers will always try to twist things to the point where literally even the Supreme Court of the United States has played games like this, where the first constitutional amendments to try to address right both slavery and racial inequality, racism in the United States, literally got turned into by the Supreme Court. They got turned into a right to union bust and a right to child labor, okay, in like the 1890s, I think it was. So these right wingers will take any aspect of American history. I mean, saying that people should celebrate like Confederate statues, are you kidding me? And they'll claim that they're not the racist ones. And it's just this elaborate game because they know enough to know that being racist is bad. But that's where everything stops. And then after that, they just try to just do this mental pretzel to twist and turn logic into saying, no, you're the racist ones. It's definitely not, you know, the people doing like these anti-Semitic conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Being overtly racist is bad. Being covertly racist, perfectly on cue. It's just we just continue to see the same antics gone again and again and again. And the thing is, you know, the line keeps getting moved a lot closer when it comes to the racism that's going on, this new racism that Marjorie Taylor Greene and her cohorts really seem to encourage and emphasize. But we are going to go ahead and take a break. You can stay and stick, please. It's Adrian Lawrence, welcome back to TYT's Indisputable. And we've definitely been doing some things at TYT and we wanna share that with you. Uh, we've been driving positive change cause that's been the foundation of our mission as TYT approaches its 20th anniversary. I really want you all to come and take the time to visit tyt.com slash impacts. Please see what we've achieved over the past few years cause it's been pretty huge. Some of our big impacts include TYT's petition for that $15 minimum wage, something we all definitely need across the country. And that's at a minimum truly. Also, we've given a platform to progressive leaders, AOC, Cori Bush, many others. And the progressive economic pledge has been huge. We have rallied together, brought you all together. We have made meaningful change and set a platform for change. So see how you've been a part of driving that change at tyt.com slash impacts. Also, hey, yo, you like to watch us? Well, listen too. check out the TYT's Indisputable podcast. Go ahead and do that at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast on. Search for Indisputable with Dr. Rashad Ritchie. Click the follow and while you're there, go ahead and rate us. Give it five stars, please. Also, please do check us out this Friday on the Power Panel, January 7th. We have got a big announcement. It's so big, I don't even know what it is. That's right, they are keeping it very close to the chest, but you are going to want to be there to watch and to learn. We've got some big, big, big things in store for you for 2022. And you are going to want to be a part of that announcement. So I will be watching this Friday. Please join us on the Power Panel, January 7th. 
Let's go ahead and see what y'all are saying out there on these streets. Colorado Blue Blazer regular says, no offense, Karen, but Eric Cartman has more convincing crying than that. Mm, sounds right. She was she was definitely in a place, and it wasn't an Oscar-worthy one with that performance. Lynn, the tears of a clown. Yep, absolute clownery. And the YouTube super chat regarding Karen Raja Harris says, "Lord, I done woke my childrens up. We were laughing so hard. I do not doubt it. Listening to those tears and that wailing. God help us." BB Rodriguez, this is actual assault. After starting the assault, yeah. It's always very fun, especially when it's caught on camera. MTG, uh, well, with regard to Mary Taylor, uh, Marjorie Taylor Graham, excuse me, or Marge. Uh, Grumpy Cat says MTG gets a discount hoods from the MyPillow guy. Yeah, I'm sure that's the case. Forbeszilla with the five dollars says Ben, come up here to Alaska so I can take you makeup shopping at Sephora. It'll be so much fun. Hey, what about me? I need Sephora. I actually just ordered before the show, so I'm hooking up my brows. On Twitch, Depressed Progressive says, look at those beautiful ladies. Adrian going all natural, breathe, breathe talking, take breathtaking, forgive me. Clearly I'm missing it. And Ben, love the eyes and gorgeous. I love that you think this is all natural. God bless you. That's so sweet. When it comes to getting things right, it seems that accountability is not necessarily something that the Pittsburgh PD has a lot of. There is an officer there in Pittsburgh who is complaining uh, with good reason because she claims she was sexually assaulted by a fellow officer and also that, hey, the department didn't do enough in terms of punishment. And you are going to be shocked with how much time that federal or that fellow officer got. So what we do know is back in June, the female officer wrote that she and several other officers attended a cookout at the station where they all began drinking. The party moved to a bar and the officer wrote that she was too drunk to drive home. So a male officer drove her to her house. That's where she says her coworker raped her. Sources tell Channel 11 that the female officer sent a scathing email to the entire Pittsburgh Police Department detailing the alleged sexual assault and how the system failed her. Throughout her email, she wrote multiple times that the accused officer knew she was too intoxicated to consent to sex and that he later suggested that they not tell anyone about what happened. She added that the Allegheny County Police Department and the District Attorney's Office conducted a review, but no charges were filed. The city's Office of Municipal Investigations also conducted a review and bureau leadership ultimately recommended the accused officer be fired. She claims that Public Safety Director Wendell Hisrich instead gave the officer a two to three day suspension and transferred him out of zone five. The female officer had strong words for Director Hisrich, who only has a few days left on the job. That's right, so this is Public Safety Director Wendell Hisrich on his way out of the job. And this man decided that he is just going to transfer the officer accused of rape, who was recommended, recommended to be fired. That officer received two to three days suspension, simply two to three days for rape, and then just got transferred. That was the recommendation of Public Safety Director Wendell Hisrich, who is now leaving the job. And perfectly fine with that. Ben? It's just unbelievable because, I mean, if he was willing to do that to another police officer, you think that that isn't happening? You think that he isn't doing that with the suspects? And like, that's that, like, this is, there's a huge problem because 
I mean, not first and foremost, fired. Why are we talking about fired? Why, why are we not talking about criminal charges, right? Like this is that's where the conversation should be. It should be about criminal charges. It should be an investigation into the entire department. It should be an investigation to the guy that doesn't want to fire this police officer. Everybody involved really should get like heavily investigated. But it just goes to show that there, look, we live in an incredibly racist, sexist society where there are hierarchies, right? And the police are allowed to commit acts of violence against the public. And when you talk about a male police officer versus a female police officer, obviously the system has a preference there too, as we're seeing in this particular case. And that's all within the context of, right? Research has shown that like somewhere around 40% of police officers are domestic abusers. And like this happening, right? Police officers sexually assaulting people is reported constantly across the country, right? Not just with other police officers, but also especially with like people who are like criminal suspects. But really, that could just mean anybody that police officer feels like pulling over at the time. And so this is all part of like this larger problem. And all draped in this conversation the Democrats are having right now saying that people on the left are too radical for daring to suggest we take away money from the people that are doing things like this. Yeah, and you know what, it really does hit me that people might think that this was about sex, but it wasn't, this is about power. This is about that male officer wanting to subjugate the female officer essentially in his department and taking liberties with her, sexually assaulting her according to the accusations and then facing no consequences. Because as Ben noted, we live in a patriarchal society that has a hierarchy according to genders. And the fact is that when a woman is not in her place, as in when she decides to join the ranks of a traditionally male occupation like policing, she is going to be more susceptible to forms of sexual harassment. And this would be one of them, that's sexual assault. It is the form of subject of let me get you to play small, let me demean you, let me take your dignity from you because I am threatened by the thought that you are equal and on equal platform or that you are trying to essentially rise in that hierarchy or ignoring the existence of it. And that's something that we see happen every day. While it may not necessarily be as grave as the accusations that have been essentially levied here, we see it happen every day in workplaces. It's all about maintaining the power structures that are currently in existence. And the fact that this male officer got away with it, that just got transferred and that was it, even though there was a recommendation of his termination. It just, it really speaks to the fact that we do not have meaningful change. And that is part of the problem. And as long as people don't say anything or do anything, the problem will persist. We are going to talk about what would definitely be a problem. <sighs> Let me go ahead and set the stage for you. Greyhound bus station, Florida. What in the red state hell? You can take a gun, shoot somebody in the face. It's not hard. Sometimes it might even be fun if they're a godless commie. Now what they're trying to do is sneak the COVID vaccine in your salads. I never hate, I hate math. Somebody say amen. Oh, I always had another threat. 
But the Greyhound bus, another threat? Two threats of that one and that one? Oh, I don't think so. I'm going to get a free ride back to Fort Lauderdale. Watch this. Not from here. Oh, watch me. Get the cops here. Watch me. Watch me, troublemaker. Watch me, troublemaker. Watch me, black African American troublemaker. Hey, hey, See? I got it, I got it. See? I got it. Listen. Let's go. Let's go. Oh, you get the cops. Let's go. You get the cops here. Let's go. Oh, you get the goddamn cops. Come on. Oh, no. I know I wouldn't know her. I'm pissed out. I'm pissed. I'm sure this. I am sure you royalists. Each and every one of you are harassing me. And that woman, I didn't have anything to eat yet. Oh, no. Forget the goddamn. I know. I'm sure you're going down. I know. Oh, you're going down. Big time, you're going down. These people with their racist antics, they always just really want to plant themselves somewhere. They want to say, hey, I should be able to stay here, subject you to racist harassment and mistreatment, and you should be able to do absolutely nothing about it. That sense of entitlement, it just it's as appalling as these individuals are. And especially how it seems that she's definitely the aggressor here, yet she purports to be the victim. This thought of, you know, you're not going to treat me this way, this is unacceptable, yet I'm going to hurl these racial slurs at you. And then also being what, in a public place. You know, this is a, I actually say this is a private place. This is a private business. Greyhound doesn't necessarily have to let you stay there. Greyhound can ask you to leave. Yeah, I understand that it's to some extent a public accommodation, but that still doesn't take away that private element of the fact that you have to act according to their rules. You can't just be acting up and remain in that place without any kind of regard and act with impunity. It just doesn't happen. Yet, nobody really gave these individuals a heads up on how our society works because they've been enjoying privilege for way too long and the rules don't seem to apply to them. Ben. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly it, right? Cuz like I'll, I'll bring in two points here. The first point is that like we have to, we all have to make choices. Anybody that's in charge of any type of space, whether it be an online space or a physical space, right? If you're a business owner, you need to make choices about who deserves to feel safe right in whatever space you have whether it's a business online whatever right you can choose to let races feel safe or you can choose to let people of color feel safe only one of those two is an option though right people should not feel comfortable being racist right in public spaces right or at very least in like businesses anywhere right um and then we'll add another layer to this though which is the sort of psychological violence that happens in a racist society like ours where we enforce this idea sometimes with physical violence in the case of like police officers and things like that where people of color are expected to put themselves in the minds of all the white people around them and constantly be thinking from their perspective right and that right there that right there is what creates this culture and environment where white people walk around in society not thinking about how anybody else is thinking about anything because they're too centered into what their thought process is and they want to force everybody to adopt their process of thinking no matter how ridiculous it is no matter how ridiculous the idea of like a racist person being a victim in this situation like it's that's utter nonsense but they're so used to this idea that everybody needs to accommodate every whim that they have that it leads to behavior like this and those two things really combined has unfortunately led to a very common trend in the United States where 
like racist white people feel like they should be the ones that are allowed to be safe and comfortable being racist in every space and just get completely put off at any idea that their racism won't be tolerated. Yes, one of the principles that I teach when I'm explaining people, explaining to people how racism works is that right to comfort. That sense that you cannot disturb my right to comfort by calling out my racism or holding me accountable for it. And that is something that is commonly held among white people, unfortunately, in the culture. And there are only now we're seeing glimpses of change where people are being forced to confront their racism, their behavior, the things that they have internalized due to white supremacy for so long. And the thing is, we need more people to confront that. And I want to thank you so much, Ben, for coming on today, sharing your insight, your wisdom. I'm so excited that we had this time together. Can you tell everybody who's watching where they can find more about your wonderful work and all the great things that you do? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Benjamin Carollo. And then you can also catch me on the Young Turks Twitch channel every Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern time for my show Galaxy Brain. Awesome, thank you so much, Ben, we appreciate having you. Welcome to Indisputable, I'm your host, Dr. Rashad Richard. We got a lot happening today, but what do we do on this show? We tell the truth, you know why we tell the truth? Because the truth is simply indisputable. Rashad, great to be here, congratulations on the new show. And I gotta let everybody know that Rashad and I go way back. Here's the pattern that we see in all of these Karen stories. They think they own stuff they do not own. Now, where does that come from? I don't know, maybe slavery. Maybe they think they should still own black people. This is what happens when Karens weaponize the police. When you're used to privilege, equality seems like oppression. It hits you in a certain way when someone is holding you against your will, treating you like you're a criminal and you're an innocent person. This is something that black people face no matter where they are. A stronger black economy lends itself to a stronger, greater economy. Don't think it's exclusive of you, it's inclusive of you. What's your beef with critical race theory? It adds more fuel to the fire of the racist tendencies that we already have. We have a generation of problem solvers that can remedy the problem if they are properly taught what the problem is. You know who created redlining in this country? Mm-hmm. The white liberal. I, I, don't, I don't give a damn who created it. If it's a racist policy, racist policy, Shelly, here's what I don't know. I don't know, see there you go filibustering, brother. You're scared of this truth, but you're gonna get it though.